This week on Geek Explained, with her MCU debut and the upcoming Black Widow film Almost Upon Us, we're diving into the history of the other Black Widow as we Geek Explain Yelena Belova. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is the latest edition of our Geek Explained series, where I take a specific character, a team, or something in the realm of comic books, and I Geek Explain it to you. In this edition, we are Geek Explaining the other Black Widow, Yelena Belova, and the reason that is, is because she is making her debut in the latest MCU film, Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson's first and I guess only solo Black Widow film is going to be debuting this version of the character, and as far as we can tell, she's going to be a mainstay in the MCU going forward. So I figured it'd be a good time to talk about her, her comics origins, and kind of what's going on with her, as well as give you some comics to read if you are interested in the character. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, telling you about all the comics you should be picking up this week. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Going to kick things off with film news this week. We have three pieces of film news, two pieces of movies getting started filming. Uh, First off, Knives Out 2 has begun filming. They added recently a bunch of great actors, and I cannot wait to see what they do with this film. We also got news that Aquaman 2 has started filming as well, which is... Fine. But Knives Out 2, though. Knives Out 2, very excited. Uh, We also got the announcement that Transformers Rise of the Beasts is going to be the next film in the Transformers franchise. And I got immediately excited upon hearing this title because this means we're getting Beast Wars, baby. My favorite version of the Transformers as a 90s baby was, of course, Transformers Beast Wars. And with this film, it looks like they are going to be dropping in and going balls out. I think is the term (laughs) that I can put here. Uh, It looks like this film is going to be set in the 90s and is going to star Anthony Ramos of In the Heights and Hamilton fame in the lead role, so I'm very excited about that. And we just got the news as well that Ron Perlman is going to be voicing Optimus Primal. That's the Optimus Prime that turns into a gorilla. I know. Get with it. It's amazing. Uh, it does look like the classic uh, Gen 1 versions of the Transformers are going to be here as well. So I don't know if this is in the same continuity as the original Transformers or if this is in like the Bumblebee continuity. And I haven't mentioned it before, but I watched Bumblebee this year. 
solid Transformers film. It is dumb as hell, but it is so much better than all of the other Transformers films so far. So if this continues on with that uh, with that train, which I guess would make sense since Bumblebee took place in the 80s, this is going to be taking place in the 90s. Um, still very excited about this. Beast Wars is awesome, and Ron Perlman voicing Optimus Primal is going to be next level. Very excited about that. Jumping over to miscellaneous news. We're going to hopscotch here. Uh, we got the announcement that Marvel Future Revolution, which is the newest uh, mobile game from Marvel and Netmarble, uh, is going to be opening up pre-registration for Android and iOS. Actually, I believe by the time you're listening to this, pre-registration has already been opened. Uh, this is going to be their latest attempt at making a mobile RPG action game, so if you're into that, kind of like I am. Um, they've done games like this before. I think the latest one was uh, Future Fight was the one that I spent way too long with. But Future Revolution actually looks really, really cool. Uh, basically, it looks like you're going to be going across time, across dimensions, uh, tons and tons of costumes. So if you are, like me, a little bit disappointed with the costume selection available in the Marvel's Avengers game for console, this might be right up your alley so if you're interested and you are an android or ios user go ahead and jump into pre-registration so that you can get early access for that they are not sponsoring this podcast i just have to put that out right away but they could totally sponsor this podcast if they wanted to but I think the game looks cool. Netmarble is always really solid with their mobile Marvel games, so I'm looking forward to this for sure. Going to hopscotch back over to TV news and two pieces of TV news that I am very excited about. First off, we got the casting announcement that Lori Holden is going to be joining The Boys in Season 3, and she has been cast as Crimson Countess. I'm not super familiar with the character, but Lori Holden was a great, great part of the Walking Dead series, and I am excited to see what she brings to the character and to the world of the boys in season three. And then hype on top of hype because we got our first look at Takumi Kitamura as Yusuke Yurameshi for the Netflix Yu Yu Hakusho series. It's legit just a single like photo taken from, I'm assuming, uh, a fan watching the filming, but my boy Kitamura looks real, real good. Looks real, real good. He's got the uniform, the slick, the slick back uh, Yurameshi hair. I am all for this, and it makes me so excited. They've apparently, like, taken up residence in an entire, like, uh, city block of the suburbs and they are just i know that doesn't make sense city block and suburbs but anyway uh they've taken this block apart and basically like built it as a set and they're going to be using it for use case town so i am so excited you know how much i love you hakusho cannot wait to see what they do with this and we're going to round things off with comic book news this week. Three pieces of comic book news that are pretty spicy, gotta say. First off, we got the announcement that a brand new Walking Dead comic is going to be uh, dropping, I believe, later this year. It's going to be written and illustrated by Tilly Walden and is going to be starring Clementine from the Telltale Walking Dead series. I know that I am not alone in saying that the Walking Dead Telltale series is kind of the best part of the Walking Dead. Um, comic notwithstanding, all associated media, I think Clementine's story is probably the best when it comes to execution, when it comes to just the feels, man. 
lots of feels. So I'm very excited to see because apparently this comic is going to be taking place after the events of the game. So can't wait to see where Clementine has been and where she is going next. We also got the announcement that with Miles Morales' 10th anniversary, can you believe he's been around for 10 years? It's wild. It's wild. You know, we, we see a lot of characters, uh, especially in modern day, who are created and just kind of forgotten about. So the fact that Miles is celebrating 10 years, that's super cool. And to celebrate, Marvel is releasing all kinds of anniversary covers, as well as possibly a new costume that may be taking the place of the classic, um, iconic M- Miles Morales costume. But covers look great. Look for them. I believe they're going to be coming up this like later this summer i think is the date that we're looking towards and then finally also in spider news probably the biggest comic book news this week is that spider-man beyond is on the way we've been wondering after we i believe we talked about it last week that the nick spencer spider-man run is ending at issue number 74 and i talked about like where are we going next what are we doing with the character issue 75 is a big landmark issue so i don't know what their plan is well This past week, we found out what the plan is, and it was revealed by some pretty awesome comics talents, uh, including Kelly Thompson, Saladin Ahmed, Cody Ziegler, Pat Gleason, and Zeb Wells, that the next chapter in the Spider-Man saga is going to be Spider-Man Beyond, starting in issue 75 and going forward. They've been releasing teases, both... um, with little info dumps here and there, as well as lots of art, lots of great Pat Gleason art, and it looks like our boy Ben Riley is going to be taking center stage here. My phone just went off. Uh, looks like Ben Riley is going to be taking the stage as the new Spider-Man going forward, and oh boy, am I excited! You know how much I love Ben Riley. You know how much I love his just his stupid self. And we are looking like we're getting a new costume for him as well. There's been uh, little teases here and there from the teaser images that Peter Parker might be biting the dust, which only makes sense because he's starting to get happy with Mary Jane again. So they have to make something happen to ruin. But Ben Riley's shown up. He's got his blonde hair. He's got a little bit of scruff as well. And now he's rocking a brand new costume that seems to be kind of mishmashing the classic Spidey costume alongside his sensational Spider-Man costume, which is the best Spider-Man costume ever. Fight me, you'll lose. And even though I do wish that the sensational costume was the one that they were using, I respect the fact that they wanted to do a brand new design, even though it's not as not as good as the sensational Spidey costume. Um, But I'm very excited about seeing where Ben Riley goes next. We did find out as well that the list of names that I talked about, Thompson, Ahmed, Ziegler, Gleason, Zeb Wells, are the writers for this and that the artists have not been confirmed yet, though you have to assume that Gleason is also going to be doing art on this. But I know what you're thinking. Now, you listed a bunch of writers you don't need that many writers for a monthly title no you don't because it's not going to be a monthly title spider-man is jumping into three times per month thrice monthly um i don't know how i feel about this to be completely honest with you i will say that there is a precedent for this the brand new day era did something very similar and i think it actually ended up working out very well as long as everything is 
just like that era was segmented into its own kind of uh, vignettes. So I hope that that's the direction that they take. I hope that that's the approach that they're looking at to make sure that this goes off as smoothly as possible. But I am very interested to see what Spider-Man Beyond is all about, what would bring my boy Ben Riley back, and where Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson fall in all of this, whether figuratively or literally. So very excited about that. And that is going to wrap up the new segment for this week. And speaking of comic books, that is going to roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is our latest edition of our Geeksplain series as I Geeksplain the Black Widow, Yelena Belova. So, Yelena Belova is a really interesting character, despite how Marvel has treated her over the years. Uh, she's She kind of falls into this category of characters that Marvel gets really interested in for a little for like a little while and then just dumps so we don't see her again for like five years <laughs> which is unfortunate because the idea of a black widow who is kind of the next gen Natasha Romanoff or Natalia Romanovsky or how you know however many aliases that uh, Natasha has had um having like basically your next iPhone model come out and like try to kill you I think is the most interesting you can thing you can do with these you know super spy stories having the next generation show how obsolete or how necessary you are and when it comes to a character like Yelena she has had a very sordid history and we're going to get into it today in this in this latest edition of the Geek Explained series uh, if you have if you are familiar, if this, if you've been with us for a little while, uh, you know how this goes. I give you your basic information and kind of dive into the story of this character, and then we do a little bit of uh, recommended reading as well. So we're going to be covering all of that in this episode. Let's go ahead and dive into it. So Yelena Belova also known as uh, the Black Widow, the White Widow, the Crimson Widow, the Pale Little Spider, as well as the Super Adaptoid, we'll get into that, don't you worry, uh, had her first appearance in Inhumans number 5 way back in the far-flung past of January 1999. She was created by Devin Grayson and J.G. Jones, and her team affiliations include the KGB, S.H.I.E.L.D., Hydra, the Black Widow Ops Program, the Red Room, AIM, and GRU, that's Russian Intelligence. Uh, her powers and abilities, really, she doesn't have any, like, extensive abilities until later. We'll get into it. But her uh, abilities include 
a peak physiology, so she has enhanced strength, speed, durability, stamina, and endurance. She's also a master acrobat, a master martial artist, and a weapons expert. And when she became the super adaptoid for a time, she could copy superpowers. And that was hella scary with her already super um, deadly training from the Black Widow program. And mind you as well, just in case you need any kind of indicator, uh, Natasha, the original Black Widow, or I guess the original Black Widow that we're familiar with, um, was given all of the same training, but she was also pumped full of different um, steroids and serums to make her body at its peak, so that the rigorous training that she went through would shape her into the ultimate weapon. Yelena did not get any of those serums or, you know, biological cocktails or anything like that, so she went through all the same training that Natasha did, but as as a normal person, which makes her, in my view, more dangerous than Natasha just on paper, because she is able to do all the things that Natasha can do, except she doesn't have to get the considerable help that Natasha gets from the uh, experiments that were done and performed on her. Uh, her equipment, her basic equipment, usually includes a Kevlar costume very similar to Natasha's, as well as Widow's Bite Gauntlets that distribute the same kind of paralyzing tasers, as well as all different kinds of gadgets and whatnot. Though she, very specifically, and in doing my research, she doesn't have the same kind of grappling hook thing that Natasha has, which is, I feel like, a weird exclusion. I don't know why it wouldn't be on this if it's, like, standard issue for Red Room agents, but... I digress. With all of that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into the history of Yelena Belova. So, Yelena Belova kind of started off really as a pale shadow of Natasha Romanoff. She trained in the new Red Room that was established in the late 1970s. This Red Room was an offshoot of the original, which had been destroyed prior to this. And this new Red Room was devoted to creating soldiers without any kind of superhuman um, leg up on the... On the world and in the spy realm. So all of the uh, all of the recruits, all of the trainees, all of the new Black Widows that they were training would not be getting any of the special treatment that the previous generations of Black Widows before them got. Now, Yelena was very quickly at, you know, positioned at the top of her class. She was incredibly skilled at such a young age in the art of assassination. So much so that she was preeminently and I think um, probably before she was ready pulled into active service as a Black Widow when the murder of her trainer Pyotr oh, I'm gonna say this wrong just get ready for it Vasilievich that's what we're gonna go with uh, was uh, revealed to her so she found out that her main mentor was killed and so she was activated as a brand new black widow uh, she proceeded to hunt down apprehend and murder the killer of her trainer and unfortunately unbeknownst to yelena this was all part of a scheme by the red room to activate her as the new black widow so her trainer her relationship with her trainer his murder as well as all of her um her basic like vengeance quest was all engineered by the red room to mold her into the next primary killer for that 
process. And as the very new Black Widow, her first mission was to deliver a device into Adelan to aid in an invasion on the city. Now, during this, during this Inhumans Marvel Knights story, uh, Adelan had made itself known. The world was very freaked out about this. You know, unhumans, all this stuff, hated and feared, all that. And the governments of the world were very keen on invading the city and finding out just what makes it tick. And so the first big blow to Adelan was Yelena Belova being able to infiltrate the city and put a device that dropped all of the shields and defenses that Adelan had, keeping other nations out. Uh, following this successful mission, she was sent by the Red Room to shadow Natasha, as well as recover a serum called the Deathless Frenzy. Now, this serum was basically engineered to turn people into raving lunatics so that at the point of their death, they would become mindless, savage killing machines until they expired. Uh, they were able to successfully retrieve this serum. However, Yelena was captured during the process and was subsequently rescued by Natasha. This kickstarted a fire inside of her that made her immediately just want to be better than Natasha at everything. She had heard about Natasha prior to this mission, but seeing her in action and being rescued by someone who was deemed by the Red Room to her as obsolete was unacceptable to her. Later, while doing more missions for the Red Room, we got probably the most controversial story for Yelena Belova, where she was captured by S.H.I.E.L.D. and forcibly had her face swapped with Natasha's. This process messed with Yelena's mind, giving her amnesia, and she was forced to wander through New York in shock, and she nearly went insane because of the process. As we come to find out later... Natasha explained to Yelena that this whole thing, this whole messed up thing that she did to her, she explained that what she did was to try and steer Yelena away from the life of a super spy and try to get her out of the life of spydom. And rightfully so, Yelena was like, hey, we could have had a conversation about this, but no, you decided to try and drive me insane and remove my identity from me. And she basically told her, like, you essentially, like, assaulted my identity, you assaulted me, and I'm going to have scars, both mentally and physically, for a very long time to come. However, after this, she began to reevaluate her life as a super spy, and so she decided she was going to solve one last case, and then get out of the game altogether. So she solved the murder of Lieutenant Colonel Starkovsky, who was an old contact of hers who had died under mysterious circumstances. She was able to solve this murder and went on to retire and become a lingerie model, which I guess is what you do when you stop being a super spy. Following this, uh, Yelena basically established an entire fashion empire focused, I believe, initially on lingerie, but eventually extended out to other uh, avenues and genres of fashion. And during this time, she befriended a woman named Sally Ann Carter. Now, this is going to be important later on, so remember that name. Now, over time, she was kind of forgotten about. She settled very, almost too easily into uh, civilian life, and she began to... See, get bored, I guess, is the uh, 
is the way that you can describe it. And so she started to use her expertise as a spy as well as her newfound um, business acumen to do some, we'll, we'll call them under-the-table dealings. <laughs> I think that's, you know, as, as uh, kind as I can describe it. And during this time, she began to make some make some deals. She began wheeling and dealing with some unsavory folks, which eventually brought her back into the life of Natasha during a particularly, uh, let's say, messy deal in Miami, where she was essentially exporting stolen meds out of the country. And she recruited Natasha, saying like, hey, you're still in the spy game, I need something done, how about I hire you and we work together on this. Now, during this whole thing, Natasha unfortunately was captured. However, Yelena, seeing that this is a prime situation, not just to uh, rescue someone who, you know, I think had her best intentions at heart at one time and also get the chance to one-up Natasha, teamed up with Daredevil, who was for some reason in Miami, and the two of them went and rescued Natasha. However, during this time, after the... Uh, after the rescue of Natasha, Yelena found out that Sally Ann had also been captured by the same uh, drug runners and human traffickers that had captured Natasha. And while they were uh, in pursuit of Natasha and trying to rescue her, she was experimented on and very severely abused. And by the time that Yelena was able to arrive at the location she had been held at, Sally Ann had disappeared. And this was the moment where... Yelena essentially realized that civilian life would not be for her and that the people that would be closest to her would always be killers and thieves because normal people would not survive being in proximity to her. And so she began to slowly dip her toes back into the world of espionage, starting off with by... Uh, being recruited by S.H.I.E.L.D. to aid the mining of vibranium in the Savage Land. So for those of you who aren't aware, the Savage Land is this, I guess you could say it's a full-on country. At, at, at different points, it's like it's an island or then it's a region. Sometimes it's an entire country. Uh, sometimes it's a continent. Who knows? But this land is essentially untouched by time. This is a land that has dinosaurs, Kazar, all of these characters who are... Um, prehistoric and in that kind of realm Mr. Sinister likes to frequent this area as does Sauron the man who would rather make people into dinosaurs than cure cancer and while on this job they uh from what Yelena was told S.H.I.E.L.D. had discovered that there was a large amount of vibranium just waiting to be mined in a certain region of the Savage Lands. so she was recruited by S.H.I.E.L.D. to aid in mining this vibranium it seemed like it was going to be a very easy you know get in get the vibranium get out situation however during this she was confronted by the Avengers and as it turns out, she, the shield that recruited her was not the real shield. This was a group of uh, shield rogues, you know, shield rogue agents who had split off to try and make a buck. And they had recruited Yelena to essentially be their muscle. 
during this confrontation, during this scuffle, who would appear but the pterodactyl man himself, Sauron. Sauron arrived and did battle with Yelena, eventually defeating her and severely burning her, like almost beyond recognition. Um, She survived somehow, and while being put in medical care was approached by AIM as well as Hydra with the promise of revenge on these new Avengers. Now this was during the period where the new Avengers were still more or less in their infancy. This was the uh, Bendis New Avengers run where we had, you know, Cap and Iron Man alongside characters like Wolverine, Luke Cage, Spider-Man, um, a, an untouched gem and a, a, uh, an, an era that doesn't get enough love. As it, you know, as much as it should, at least. And I may be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure a very, uh, very good member of the Comic 2 community, might be uh, named Owen Likes Comics, did a great episode on the new Avengers. And if you are unfamiliar with the uh, with the era, if you're unfamiliar with the new Avengers run, which I would absolutely recommend, go check that out. It's a great, great video. And Owen, as always, is a wonderful, wonderful guide in the world of comics. So Quick plug for him. Uh, Moving on with Yelena's story, however. Uh, After being approached by Aemon Hydra, she took their offer to get revenge on the new Avengers. And though her body was pretty much beyond saving, essentially, it was beyond the point that they would feel that she could make a full recovery, they instead transferred her mind into a new version of the Super Adaptoid. Now, the Super Adaptoid is similar to Amazo in that it is this android that is artificially built, but it is built to mimic the powers of whoever it is fighting. So the absolute worst uh, case scenario for heroes to be fighting this thing is in a big group like the the Avengers, (laughs) because then there are just so many powers for the Super Adaptoid to use, and it is, it's a bad, it's bad news. It's just bad news. And with Yelena's new power set alongside her killer training, Yelena mopped the floor with the new Avengers, attacking them at their base and nearly defeating all of them. Now, unfortunately, uh, for Yelena at least, the Avengers were able to rally and the Sentry was able to beat the Super Adaptoid back enough that AIM got very nervous. And its partner, Hydra who had the keys to the kingdom when it be, when it came to the uh, the super adaptoid decided that rather than have the super adaptoid Yelena defeated uh captured and analyzed and you know it being able to be traced back to them they decided to just press a button and self-destruct the uh the super adaptoid which seemingly killed Yelena once and for all now this is uh unfortunate And uh, this was, you know, just like throughout the rest of her history as a character, a time where she came in, did some cool stuff, and then was left on the shelf for, you know, two, three to four to five years. So once again, she was gone for a little while until years passed and the new status quo following the superhuman civil war, following the secret invasion 
A new Black Widow joined a vigilante group called the Vanguard, and this Black Widow eventually revealed herself to be Yelena Belova, seemingly back from the dead, no scarring. At the top, at the height of her abilities, Yelena was back under mysterious circumstances. And following a few successful missions with the Vanguard, she was later recruited by Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin himself, to join the new Thunderbolts team. Now, a little bit of backstory, a little bit of context for this. After the Superhuman Civil War, there was a power vacuum. Uh, Tony Stark became essentially the uh, new director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Things were going fine until it was revealed that a solid par- a solid portion of the superhero community and a solid portion of the population of the planet itself were in fact scrolls in disguise who were preparing for an invasion and over the course of this event lots of people re- were revealed to be um Scrolls in disguise betrayals were made alliances were broken and at the end of it all one man stood atop the ashes as its victor, and that man was Norman Osborn, who delivered the killing blow to the Queen Varank as he essentially declared, you know, America and Earth is for Earthlings and all this stuff. And unfortunately, due to his very publicized execution of Varank, the entire world, you know, especially the U.S., treated this guy like a hero, like he was the savior of the world, that he had single-handedly stopped the secret invasion, and so they gave him the keys to the kingdom. And in so doing, Norman Osborn not only nearly dissolved S.H.I.E.L.D. as an entity altogether, but he, re- but he reinforced and established Hammer, which was supposed to be essentially an evil S.H.I.E.L.D. that was completely under his thumb. During this time, as well as being director of Hammer, Norman Osborn created an entirely new Avengers team made up of villains disguised as heroes. This is when we get Dokken as Wolverine. We got, I believe, Bullseye as Daredevil. We got uh, Venom as Spider-Man. It was a whole thing. It was great. Um, But he also established a new identity for himself, no longer the Green Goblin, because you can't be a hero as the Green Goblin. He took some of the assets seized from Tony Stark, who was kicked out of his job and lost all kind of political power that he had following the Civil War and refitted an armor to become the Iron Patriot. So he was leading the super quote-unquote hero community while also making lots of dealings to keep his position of power intact. And to do that, he realized that his new Avengers team, dubbed the Dark Avengers, for anyone who wanted to differentiate the eras, Uh, he needed a strike force. He needed a team that could do the things that the Avengers, this new Avengers team that he had created, not to be confused with the new Avengers team, I know, there's a lot, there's a lot, Um, but he needed a team to do the things that the Avengers publicly couldn't be seen doing, and so he reestablished the Thunderbolts, and at the top of the list when it came to this Thunderbolts crew, he recruited the new Black Widow, the newly revived Black Widow, Yelena Belova. Now, the role that Yelena kind of served 
in this story was more of Norman's muscle. She was the Rick Flag of the Suicide Squad, who re- reported directly to Norman and also enacted his will, whether it was in the best interest of the team or not. And during this story, it was revealed that this wasn't, in fact, Yelena at all, but Natasha, who had gone underground, had gone into hiding, and resurfaced as Yelena because that was how she could do the work she needed to do without revealing her face. And it is... Man. It is... It was a great reveal, and this story is fantastic. I absolutely recommend it, and we'll talk about recommended reading later on. But as we came to find out, Natasha was, you know, doing this and joined this Thunderbolts team under the impression that she was aiding Nick Fury, who had also gone underground and was leading his own secret Avengers at the time. Unfortunately, we found out that Natasha wasn't exactly being... uh, being led by the directives of Nick Fury and was in fact manipulated by Norman Osborn to join the team and to do his dirty work, more or less. This turned Natasha away from her life as a uh, super spy at the time. She went off, she was able to escape somehow, along with, um, I believe, Songbird, and the two of them escaped and, you know, got out into the wild and to track them down to try and retrieve this new asset that Norman believed he could not live without. He went to his buddies in AIM and essentially said, hey, it's time. Go ahead and open her up. And it was revealed to the reader that Yelena was, in fact, alive. That Norman and AIM had been keeping her body in stasis, healing it from the injuries she had sustained from Sauron in the Savage Land. And now she was essentially back in fighting form, in stasis, and under the control of Norman and AIM. So, unfortunately, we didn't get to really see... uh, We didn't really get to see a whole lot of her going after Natasha because as time and as, you know, events would happen, she was awakened before we could continue that thread. And Norman was fairly, uh, fairly inept when it came to leading. Uh, And so he was eventually deposed during the siege arc, the siege uh, event, which reunited the original you know, big three, that being Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America, Steve Rogers, who was back alive. And the three of them defeated Norman and brought back the status quo and the new age of heroes. During this, however, Nick Fury, who was now a different Nick Fury, Nick Fury Jr., who was modeled after the Samuel Jackson Nick Fury, uh, established his own secret Avengers and continued to do the things that the Avengers couldn't be seen doing. And AIM was not done utilizing Yelena as an asset. So, after being awakened by AIM, Yelena was installed in their High Council and was made the Minister of State for Barbuda, which was an island peninsula peninsula region that was under the thumb of aim and as the basically the regent of this area yelena was kind of living it up she was living the life ruling over this over this nation and being able to enact not just her will but also aims however she was taken away from this 
during a particularly bombastic mission by the Secret Avengers, because the Secret Avengers were making a play for AIM Island, the big old headquarters for advanced idea mechanics, and the Secret Avengers had broken in to rescue Mockingbird, who was being held there, and during this full-scale assault on the island, Yelena was called in by AIM to intercept. And so Yelena, as this new... you know, deadlier version of herself, flew in, started doing battle with the Secret Avengers, and specifically the uh, trying to escape Mockingbird, who was already injured due to the torture she had sustained while in the uh, while imprisoned on AIM Island. And the two of them continued to uh, have a solo duel, just one on one, and were eventually separated from the other Secret Avengers, with the door shutting, smoke filling the room, and the two of them continued to battle. However, uh, upon them trying to continue to make their escape, Mockingbird reunited with the group, and as they were getting on board to the shuttle to escape, however, Mockingbird was shot by a sniper and killed. But this was not an unhappy ending for the Secret Avengers, because as Mockingbird's body was recovered and the Secret Avengers made their escape, the body of Mockingbird began to change, and it was revealed that this was, in fact, not Mockingbird at all, but Yelena Belova. She was uh, essentially under the guise of a hologram, inducer which Mockingbird had smuggled onto the island and it was during their duel she was this was attached to her and as she made her way out to not reunite with the Secret Avengers but to continue her mission of defeating them she was killed by the guard and so Yelena Belova was dead once again and just in case you were wondering Mockingbird was able to escape on her own now this was another, you know, sad tale of Yelena Belova being woken up only to be killed again, uh, which is a running theme with Yelena, if you haven't noticed so far. And our final chapter that at least we're going to talk about at the, on this episode uh, begins with a look back into the past. No more Avengers stuff, no more big bombastic world ending things, just a couple of jamokes a couple of schmucks trying to find their friend so following the events of the secret avengers following the events of the siege we got to see other things happen we got to see the rise of this new age of heroes before it was shot down by the serpent uh the giant uh i guess the uncle of thor which ended up killing uh bucky barnes captain america and ending the age of heroes at least that version of it uh we got to see the secret wars happen we got to see the end of the multiverse we got to see the multiverse reborn or as far as our main 616 earth knew it just the universe singular and we also got to see the growth of the avengers we got to see people grow and change we got a brand new captain america and in that steve rogers was 
turned into an old man until he was revitalized once again by the sentient cosmic cube known as Kobik, restored to youth and became his own Captain America alongside Sam Wilson. If you want more information on that, we did an entire giant-sized episode, myself, Malcolm Russell Nelson, called The Tale of Two Captains that we did uh, a while back. Go back in the archives, check that out. One of my favorite episodes. It's a long one because we talk about all that entire story of the time there were two Captain Americas and the secret empire that grew out of it. But for for uh, for uh, summarization's sake, we'll say uh, the secret empire was a was an event where. Steve Rogers, in his restoration by Kobik, was turned into evil Hydrocap, or Stevel, as many people call him. And uh, eventually, during the final uh, final big push for Secret Empire, Natasha Romanova, Natasha Romanoff, was killed by this evil Hydrocap. In the climactic battle, Natasha, who had tried to train the young heroes of the world to assassinate the evil Captain America, the whole thing went about as wrong as you could think during a scuffle between this this evil Captain America and or Hydra Cap and Miles Morales. <sighs> Natasha got in the way of a killing blow from Hydra Cap and was killed instead. Now, following the Secret Empire, everything, you know, went back to mostly normal, though the world had been changed and forever scarred by the events of the Secret Empire, and Natasha was given a hero's funeral. However, as events kind of settled down again, as, you know, things got back to relative normalcy, Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, longtime lover of Natasha Romanova, as well as Clint Barton, who we could pretty much say the same thing, started to get news and started to get word around the world that certain assassinations were happening, that assassinations that were kind of unique in their trademark, you know, a lot of assassins, especially in the Marvel Universe, have their own signature, and this you know, string of assassinations was very specific in that it was a Natasha Romanova Black Widow special for each job. And so Bucky Barnes and Clint Barton teamed up, Hawkeye and the Winter Soldier teamed up for some tales of suspense as they tried to globe trot around the world to discover and, you know, essentially find out if Natasha was in fact alive. However, unfortunately, this Natasha d- or was not who they thought they were, and it was revealed that the Red Room had begun a brand new project to revive notable agents so that they can have them under their control and use them to achieve their interests, and that this Natasha was in fact a clone, and that there were several clones in their possession. Now, this specific Natasha clone found out that she was a clone, that she was not the original Natasha Romanova, and went rogue, breaking out three Yelena Belova clones that she utilized to uh, her goals and to try to bring down the Red Room. And because she needed three Yelena Belovas that she could control and keep under lock and key, she found the original Yelena Belova, who was, again, somehow alive for no reason and kind of living a civilian life, as far as we know, killed her 
and took her clones and used them in her place. Now, over the course of this story, all the clones are killed, destroyed, what have you, and this new Natasha clone sets out in the world to try and discover what her life is all about. And that's pretty much brings you up to the start of Yelena's current comics escapades. Now, if you want to learn more, uh, I've got recommended reading for you here. We're going to talk about some comics that I think you should definitely read if you're interested in the character and you want to learn more. Maybe you're listening to this before you see Black Widow in theaters or safely at home. Or maybe you're listening to this after and you want to learn more about the character. I have stories for you regardless. And unlike previous uh, Geek Explained uh, segments that we've done, I've got the recommended reading kind of separated into three blocks, separated in three eras for Yelena Belova. So the first era is if you want to read Yelena Belova comics while she's Black Widow, while she's activated as Black Widow, doing her thing in her prime. There are three comics that I think you should read. First off, Marvel Knights Inhumans by Paul Jenkins and Jai Lee. This doesn't really focus on Yelena. It focuses, as I stated earlier, on the Inhumans making their debut on the world stage, but it does feature the debut of Yelena, features her first big mission as the Black Widow and kind of gives you a uh, gives you an idea of what her deal is that would be expanded upon in the Marvel Knights Black Widow series by Devin Grayson and Greg Rucka and this is where she gets her whole career as Black Widow started and then I would also recommend for this era Black Widow Pale Little Spider by Greg Rucka and Igor Cordy I hope I said that correct if not I apologize. Uh, this deals with her backstory. This deals with her early days, as well as some of her most um, personal and damaging events to occur in her lifetime. So that's kind of her prime Black Widow stories. If you want to learn more about her and the greater scope of the Marvel Universe while she is being utilized by others, unfortunately, uh, you can read the New Avengers Annual Number 1 by Bendis and uh, Olivier Co- Coipel. I always say his name wrong, and I apologize for that. And really, I mean, you can read the entire New Avengers run, because like I said, it's fantastic, and you should read it. But if you want to get stories that focus mainly on her, the annual is kind of the way you want to go. Uh, also check out Thunderbolts by Andy Diggle, which is uh, issues 126 through 137. This is where she is really Natasha, disguised as her, Um in service to Norman Osborn, serving on the Thunderbolts and all that. Great, great story. Tons of suspense. And then finally, I would recommend the Secret Avengers run by Nick Spencer, issues 1 through 16. This run started, I believe, in 2014. So you'll see like a Secret Avengers 2011, and then you'll see a Secret Avengers 2014. The 2014 run is the one one you're going to want to go with. This is post-Yelena being revived. This is her as part of the AIM High Council and features her one of her many deaths <laughs> as we uh, as we carry along here. And then, if you want to f- check out her modern stories, see what she's doing now, see where she is when it comes to the Marvel Universe, uh, there's four stories that I believe you should check out. First off, uh, Tales of Suspense, Hawkeye and Winter Soldier by Matthew Rosenberg and Travel Foreman. I love this book so much. This was the book that really turned me on to Matthew Rosenberg as a writer. Um, 
The voice he has for each of the characters is so great. This is uh, Natasha coming back to life. This is where, uh, sort of, uh, all the Clone Saga stuff. Really good story. I know saying Clone Saga gives people, especially comic book fans, like weird PTSD. It does for me as well. But this is something I think you should pick up. It's a fun story. It's not, I believe it's only four issues. It's a great, great story that you should absolutely check out, especially if you want to kind of get a sense for... How Yelena is treated as a character. <laughs> it's sad, but it's true. Um, if you want a book that treats her a little bit better, I would, and by a little bit I mean a lot, I would check out Black Widow, The Ties That Bind by Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande. This is the start of the current Black Widow ongoing where um, Yelena features a lot. And the first arc features Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande just crafting an incredible both to read and to look at Black Widow story that, again, stars Natasha, but heavily features Yelena. Uh, I would check this out for sure and then continue on if you're interested with that run. And then I would also check out two one-shot slash minis if you want to know where she is currently right now in the Marvel Universe. First off, Widowmakers, Red Guardian and Yelena Belova by Devin Grayson and Michelle Bandini. Devin Grayson, creator, one of the creators of Yelena. And Michelle Bandini is a killer artist. Um, I would definitely check this out. It's, it's just a one-shot. It's just a single issue that kind of has them dealing with some of the uh, old contacts back in the Soviet uh, Soviet Union, back in Russia, and dealing with all the stuff that goes with that, as well as some of the uh, some of the consequences of Natasha's work. And then I would lastly check out. An upcoming story, this is called The Winter Guard. It's a miniseries by Ryan Katie and Jan Bazaldwa. Uh, I know I said that wrong, and I apologize for that one. Uh, it's going to kick off this August. I believe it's a four- or five-issue miniseries that's going to feature Yelena, Red Guardian, as well as some of the other uh, famous Winter Guard members that I think are ridiculous and amazing in their own way. I would check that out. Yelena Belova has such a weird timeline. Yelena Belova has been mistreated more often than not, which is unfortunate, but whenever she does show up, she has a great story to tell. And thankfully, the story of Yelena Belova is much like the tale of the itsy bitsy spider, or I guess the pale little spider. After being washed down the drain, she crawls back up and she tries again. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comiXology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we're going to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And you know what? It was a tie again. There's lots of books to read, and it's my show, so I make the decisions. And the tie for pick of the week was between Sword number six, written by Al Ewing with art by Valeria Shiti, as well as Robin number three, written by Joshua Williamson with art by Gleb Melnikov. Two very different books, but after reading both, I could not stop thinking about them. Excellent books that are furthering both of their stories, one on a more we'll say universal scale, as well as one on a more personal scale. I really dug these books. If you aren't reading them, you should be. 
especially with everything going on right now. But that's last week's book. So we'll take a look at this week's books. So this week, once again, we got 10 books for you, double digits once again. And we're going to kick things off with, appropriately, Black Widow number eight. This is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Elena Casagrande and Rafael de la Torre. And this book is getting real intense real quickly. <laughs> uh Natasha is continuing her uh, campaign for San Francisco, and she's beginning to build a bit of a team here. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. I am the Black Widow, part two. The Black Widow races to learn the secrets behind Apogee and the powers of the Olio. Meanwhile, the White Widow is recruiting. But is the newly powered Lucy ready? The widow's spider on the inside, Anya Corazon, hunts for answers, but she's running out of time and headlong into danger. Don't miss the beginning of a new era for the Black Widow and her web of spiders. And I just, I have to make it clear because you can't tell when I'm just reading it. Spider is spelled S-P-Y-D-E-R-S because widows and spiders, but also Black Widow and spies it's important it's an important distinction uh, this is a fun book writing's great art is gorgeous what more is there to say now with our two hellfire galatians the final hellfire galatians after everything has gone on two big books you need to check out first off cable number 11 this is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Phil Noto, and this is the final book in the Cable series, unfortunately. Um, Cable's great, man. Young Cable, I didn't think I was going to like him when they first revealed him, but boy has he blossomed into a character that is rife and ripe to be picked and killed off. <laughs> Uh, some stuff's going to happen to Cable, guarantee, especially with the alternate covers for this. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Summers end. Some summers seem like they will never end, and some end too soon. Oh, you think that's meta? You think that's uh, it's Jerry Duggan being a little, a little mad about this? I would be. Um, but yeah, this is... We're pretty much in the Hellfire Gala after show or after party at this point. Um, and we are going to see the end of an era as we head on headfirst into a new one. And so the big book for the Hellfire Gala is X Factor number 10. This is written by Leah Williams with art by David Messina and Lucas Wernick, as well as David Baldione. And this is the final book in the Hellfire Gala saga. This is the final book for the X-Factor line, which is unfortunate. Um, bittersweet, I would say. I know that my wallet is going to be happy with me now that there aren't all these tie-ins to read with both Heroes Reborn and Hellfire Gala going on, but um, I'm going to look back at this fondly because I think the Hellfire Gala was a raging success, both for its, you know, out-of-comics appeal as well as the stories told within the comics, and it is, um, it's sad to see it go, but I hope that X-Factor sends it off the way it deserves, as well as sending off its own book the way that it deserves. So let's go ahead and dive into the, uh, into the <laughs> synopsis here. The Last Dance. At the Hellfire Gala, Secrets will be revealed, vengeance will be had, and someone's number is up. You'll never guess whose. 
the final issue. So, yeah, final issue of X Factor, final issue of uh, Hellfire Gala. Somebody's biting the dust, and it's going to be very interesting to see who it is. Next up, we have Beta Ray Bill, number four, written and illustrated by Daniel Warren Johnson. I have been loving this book. If you're a fan of the Asgardian corner of the Marvel Universe, this is the book you need to be picking up. Beta Ray Bill has consistently been one of the strongest books at Marvel, and you're doing yourself a disservice by not reading this book. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Argent Star, Part 4. The penultimate chapter of Daniel Warren Johnson's Righteous Horse Thor epic. When Beta Ray Bill's quest brings him and his friends, Scourge the Executioner and Pip the Troll, to the fiery realm of Muspelheim, they are quickly attacked by horrible monsters and dark beings. To save his friends, Bill must journey through a maze of his own memories. So this has been a great book because it is taking a character that even though he's been around for a while, not too many people um, are very familiar with, and really giving you every Beta Ray Bill story distilled into one perfect, now as we know, five-issue miniseries. Um, I am sad that it's ending at five issues, because I think you could tell an epic tale going across decades of Beta Ray Bill stories, especially with Daniel Warren Johnson, but I'm very happy that this book is as strong as it's been for the time that we've had it. Next up, we have Teen Titans Academy, uh, Yearbook 2021, number one. This is written by Tim Sheridan with art by Bernard Chang, Rafa Savadal, and David Lafuente. And this looks like it's basically more of a collection than an actual, like, big uh, continuing issue. I don't know exactly what is going to be featured here. It kind of seems like it's going to be, like, maybe an anthology uh, of just the stories of the students at the Teen Titans Academy. But we will just have to see. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Stitch in Time. As the first quarter of classes draws to an end at Teen Titans Academy, get a closer look at how students such as the mysterious Stitch Enrolled catch up with the status of Beast Boy and Raven's relationship and maybe, just maybe, get some clues on the origin of the new Red X. I still think it's Clown Hunter. We haven't seen that boy anywhere but we will just have to see looking forward to this i've been enjoying the book so far next up we have another book that i've been absolutely loving from marvel which is shang chi number two this is written by jean lun yang with art by dk ruan um this book is great and the cover has shang chi fighting captain america what more do you want what more could you ask for especially if you are marketing a book to me to eric the host of the geeks Plane podcast <laughs> you could not ask for anything more um very excited i loved the first issue cannot wait to see where else the story goes let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here shang chi versus the marvel universe part two Shang-Chi vs. Captain America. There's a cosmic cube for sale, and everyone from Hydra to AIM to the Hand is ready to pay up for it. But Shang-Chi and his five-weapon society might outbid them, unless a certain star-spangled Avenger has anything to say about it. Uh-oh. I love this. I love that his newfound role as the head of the five-weapon society is putting him un 
uh, unintentionally in the crosshairs of other heroes in the Marvel Universe, this is a book to pick up for sure. Next up, we have Infant Frontier Secret Files number one. This is written by Joshua Williamson, Brandon Thomas, Don Waters, and Stephanie Phillips, with art by Valentin Delandro, Inaki Miranda, uh, Stephen Byrne, and um, lots of, lots of um, variant covers here. And this is continuing on from Infinite Frontier number one, which almost was just eked out in that pick of the week spot um this is apparently as far as i know going to be uh collecting some digital issues as well as featuring also some new content so let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis here make time slash seeing red slash my brother is a kind of shadow are you ready for the new Infinite Frontier series? Do you have the lowdown on all the characters? If not, this print edition of the Digital First Secret Files series will tell you everything you're dying to know. Take a look inside Director Bone's personal database for stories featuring Jade and Obsidian, the children of the original Green Lantern, Psycho Pirate, the scourge of many a crisis on many an Earth, President Superman, the multiverse's ultimate beacon of hope, Roy Harper, back from the dead, and just who are the totality, featuring six stories in print for the very first time. So yeah, this is going to give you the lowdown on characters that if you read in New Front or in New Frontier, in Infinite Frontier and you weren't familiar with, this will let you know what's going on with them. Next up, we have Daredevil number 31, written of course by Chip Zdarsky with art by Mike Hawthorne, and this is um uh this oh man, this cover. I've been looking forward to this cover for a while. Uh um if you aren't familiar with it, it's the cover where someone, a bald someone with angel wings, is holding two Daredevil masks with blood dripping from them. And I'm pretty sure that this isn't who we think it is. But uh, the Daredevil book has been Marvel's best for a good long while now. And having it in a week with Shang-Chi and Beta Ray Bill alongside the final chapters of the Hellfire Gala. This is a good week to be a Marvel fan, for sure. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Lockdown, part one. The daredevil issue you cannot miss. Chip Zdarsky, Marco Cicchetto, and all their collaborators have redefined the life of the man without fear. In this issue, they do it all over again, and what's more, they go a step further and up the ante. Wilson Fisk's gambit from the last few months risks upending his life and tenure as mayor. Meanwhile, Matt Murdock has to fend off a prison full of inmates who all want Daredevil dead. And the inmates aren't the only ones. This, as Elektra fends for herself as a Daredevil all her own, fighting to protect Hell's Kitchen and leaving herself vulnerable in the process. So, last issue was uh, a hell of a cliffhanger, revealing that Bullseye has escaped imprisonment and is on the hunt. And it's probably not just for Daredevils. So, I'm very excited to pick this up. This is going to be something else. Next up, we have Green Arrow 80th Anniversary, 100-page, super spectacular number one. That is a mouthful of a title. This is written by Jeff Lemire, Phil Hester, Tom Taylor, Nicholas Scott, 
Brandon Thomas, Max Fiumara, Devin Grayson, Matt Grell, Chris Mitten, Laura Braga, Benjamin Percy, Otto Schmidt, Mariko Tamaki, Vita Ayala, Rom V, and Stephanie Phillips with a cavalcade of artists to accompany them. This is the, you know, another one of those anniversary, uh, anniversary issues with the yearly or the I guess, decade um, alternate covers, I'm going to be picking up at least a couple of these because they look great. Um, I'm very excited about this, Green Arrow, especially with all of the stuff that's going on right now with uh, Oliver not really having a book, but I guess being featured in Checkmate. Uh, But alongside that, we get both the re-debut of Roy Harper and Connor Hawk. There's some big stuff brewing. There's gotta be. There's gotta be. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Celebrating the Emerald Archer's 80th anniversary. For the last eight decades, Green Arrow has been one of the premier and loudest characters in the DCU, always at the forefront of where the superhero genre is headed. This oversized anniversary issue follows in those footsteps as an all-star lineup of Green Arrow creators alongside some of the gifted creators of the modern era who have been inspired by Oliver Queen unite to pay tribute to the battling bowmen. See what the past, present, and future have in store for Oliver Queen, Black Canary, Connor Hawk, Arsenal, Red Arrow, Speedy, and more in this epic special. So yeah, pretty much tells you all you need to know. Lots of Green Arrow stories, lots of Green Arrow love, and you'll love to see it. But the big book of the week for me, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is The United States of Captain America, number one. This is written by Christopher Cantwell and Josh Trujillo, with art by Dale Eaglesham and Jan Bazaldwa. I know I said that wrong, and I'm sorry. I apologize. But um, this is the book we've been waiting for. This is the book I'm excited for. I cannot wait to pick this up. I've been waiting for this book. Super excited to see what they've got to bring to the table with this Captain America story, just in time for Captain America's 80th anniversary. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. You brought two too many slash the tracks. The shield has been stolen. No one understands the value of the shield like those who've wielded it. So Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson set out on a trip across America to chase down the thief. But instead, they find the captains. Everyday people from all walks of life who've taken up the mantle of Captain America to defend their communities. And for some reason, the shield thief wants them all dead. Can Sam and Steve get to them first? Christopher Cantwell and Dale Eaglesham lead a can't-miss miniseries to celebrate Captain America's 80th anniversary. Joined by a rotating series of creative teams to tell the stories of each new captain. Starting with Aaron Fisher, the Captain America America of the Railways, brought to life by Josh Trujillo and Jan Bazaldua. I am very excited about this. I've been hyping it. I'm very excited to read this. This is a book that you will need to pick up. I don't care what other books you like. I don't care if you're not a Captain America fan. If you are going to listen to this podcast, this is required reading for you. Uh, Very excited to pick this up. This is going to be awesome. But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. And to recap, we have Black Widow number 8, Cable number 11, X-Factor number 10, Beta Ray Bill number 4, Teen Titans Academy 2020 one yearbook number one shang chi number two infinite frontier secret files number one daredevil number 31 green arrow 80th anniversary 100 page super spectacular number one and the united states of captain america number one
And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, they really help the podcast out and this whole weird podcast algorithm space. They help me out. They kind of raise up the stock of the podcast and raise it up and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. You can write whatever you'd like. You give me that five-star rating and review, I will read it here. And you will be able to join the likes of our Mighty Nine, including Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, Brian, Mouth Dork, and Dallas Meeks. I want to say a big thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. And if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want a quick pitch, maybe my thoughts on something, or some comic recommendations that we haven't covered yet on the podcast, you can send me emails, because I'm an old man and I still read emails. <laughs> you can send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Just put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read them here on the podcast, like our good friend and good brother, good friend of the podcast, Dallas Taylor, who wrote in and he says, uh, following the excitement for Infinite Frontier number one, what did you think of it as the beginning to DC's big event for the summer? More importantly, though, do you feel like this is just a less tangled version of Grant Morrison's multiversity from a few years back? I love Grant, but I'll admit they have a tendency to dive too deep into their own mind with some stories. Ain't that the truth? And it feels to me like Infinite Frontier is the working man's version of Morrison's story from a few years back. Love the show, and I think you're great. Thanks, man. Also, super heavy rules. Yes. Yes, super heavy. This is automatically the best mailbag letter I've gotten. Super heavy rules. Always. Uh, Dallas Taylor from the Comics Collective. Also, Go to uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Go subscribe to the Comics Collective. Dallas, Lexi, the whole team over there, uh, they frequently have guests. They're all amazing. They talk comics. If you like what I do here, you will love what they do. Go give them a subscribe. And rate them, too. It's fun. But uh, thank you to Dallas for writing in. Always love chatting with you, brother. Um, but for... Even Frontier, like I said earlier in the episode, um, I really enjoyed it. It was almost in my top. And I think that in in certain aspects, there are things that Grant Morrison... Because Grant Morrison is big ideas all the time. Um, there have been comparisons made between Grant Morrison and Jonathan Hickman uh, because both of them kind of work on their own level of storytelling. But Grant Morrison is always big picture, always, whether they are writing just a single character, like a Flex Mentallo, or they are going big bombastic like a Final Crisis. They are working on the big picture, what they believe will tell the best story for them. And as Dallas says, sometimes they get a little deep into their own high concept stories to really make something that is um, accessible, I guess is the word that I'm looking for. But I will say that I think Grant Morrison's multiverse reads pretty well I know it doesn't read well for everybody and maybe it's just because I'm neurotic but I thought it was fairly easy uh, to follow along though I have heard 
from many people that it is not super easy to follow along. And I will say that there are certain concepts that I still kind of, after having read it probably three or four times, uh, I still find myself scratching my head because Grant Morrison, their mind is a maze and a labyrinth that none of us will ever be able to parse through. Uh, Both in, you know, in the good way and and sometimes in the not so good way. But I do think that uh, Infinite Frontier, for those people who are interested in those kind of uh, high multiverse concepts, are going to be able to follow this fairly well. Uh, Joshua Williamson is a great writer um, who also, you can tell, really respects Grant's uh, contributions to DC lore and to the multiverse. And I'm sure that uh, Joshua Williamson has given them a call you know, on more than one occasion to be like, hey, what's going on here? <laughs> because as um, as dense it is, as it is, multiversity left its mark. You know, that multiverse map that made its debut in Grant Morrison's stories is at the heart of that book. And we are still getting stuff from that book today on what, you know, on even some of the littlest stories, but usually they're used for like the big bombastic multiverse threatening events. But I do think that there are certain things that if you didn't read Multiversity, you may not quite get what's going on in Infinite Frontier. But if you do have questions, you can then go back and read Multiversity, or you can listen to my podcast or Dallas's podcast, and we would be happy to talk about it for you. If you want me to do an episode on Multiversity, let me know um whether you want to reach out through email whether you want to reach out through uh our socials if you want to connect with us uh geeksplained pod at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained pod uh on twitter on instagram if you want a multiversity episode let me know i will do my best to break it down maybe i'll bring some people on so that we can all have a roundtable discussion i would love to do that because everyone takes uh something from multiversity differently which i think is fascinating about that book like the way that i understand it isn't the same way that dallas understands it which isn't the same way that you may understand it if you've read it or not understand it (laughs) so i think i'd love to do that at a certain point so if you'd like to see that uh let me know and also if you do want to uh keep up to date with the podcast you want to participate in polls that decide future episodes feel free to give us a follow on the socials it's great we're almost to 150 followers which is really exciting for me personally um so yeah help us out stay in touch and we'll all have a good time and thank you once again to dallas for writing in again if you want to be part of the geeksplain mailbag if you want to email in uh send me emails to geeksplain at gmail.com but mailbag is the subject header and i will read it on this podcast now i know what you're probably thinking near the end of this podcast if you listened all the way through which if you have thank you i love you um there are there's kind of usually a rhythm to how I do my episodes. Like if I do a Geek Explained episode, it's usually because, you know, there's a adaptation coming out and there's a character who people might not know as well, but it's usually around like the same time. Like why wouldn't I be releasing this episode next week when Black Widow drops next Friday? Well, the reason, dear listener, is, and thank you for asking your question. Also, I appreciate it. Audience participation is always encouraged. The reason is because next week kicks off July, and July is kind of a big month for me because we are doing another themed month, hot off the heels of X-May and all the success that I got from that and the great episodes that I got to record from that. Next month, 
or next week kicks off Captain America Month for me on this podcast. Geeksplain Podcast is dedicating the month of July to the Star Spangled Avenger. Every single episode of July is going to be focused on a different facet of Captain America. I'm very excited about this, and we're going to kick things off with a spotlight episode. Um, I have been wanting to talk about this comic in length for a while. I've mentioned it before. On the podcast is one of my favorite Captain America stories, and it is Captain America Man Out of Time, uh, written by uh, Mark Wade with art by uh, George Molina. I love this book with a passion, and next week I'm going to be kicking off Captain America Month with a big ol' spotlight on that comic. Um, I, you know how much I love Captain America. He's my favorite Marvel character. Um, second only in my top characters list to Superman. And I'm very excited to dedicate an entire month to talking about my favorite Marvel hero. So stay tuned next week as we kick off Captain America Month with a spotlight on Mark Wade and George Molina's Captain America Man Out of Time. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric. Kazana, thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.